Welcome to the Conscious Business Podcast. I'm your host, Phoebe Lay, and I'm so excited that you're here today. On our episode, we are going to be talking about what inspires you in business to help you create a conscious brand that will not only build credibility and give you more opportunities in your business to thrive, but also help you create in a deliberate, conscious kind of way. This is a place where meaningful conversations will inspire you to create, pursue, and thrive and shine in business. Today, I am very excited to bring you my very special guest who not only brings a lot of wisdom and insights into the world of conscious business, but he also has a wonderful sense of humor and has been through the struggles, the trials and the tribulations that has allowed him to get to where he is now as the founder of Meet Magic. Carl Go, welcome. It's golf. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. We'll take, there we go. We'll take it, Phoebe Lou. Carl <laughs> Goff, how are you? Yeah, very well, Phoebe. You? Yeah, very well. Carl, I've worked with you for so long. I always thought it was Go. How, yeah. how did it become Goff? Well, I think it's German. I think, um, in fact, when I was 40, I went back to the UK and I took my parents to dinner. My dad dropped this thing on me like a ton of bricks. He said, by the way, we're all originally from Ireland, from, from County Cork. And I was like, you just never tell a 40-year-old Englishman that he's Irish. So it's like well, the worst thing you can do. And so all of a sudden, we're all Irish Catholic gypsies. And apparently the Goth family married into some family in Cork, and then we all spread out and went to England. And one of my, cousin, one of my cousins is, is, is in Yorkshire, and then they all spread down to Nottingham, and they're all throughout the country. Wow. What's your story? Share with us. What's the big story behind Carl Goff? Oh, um, well, I think, I think we're all defined by uh, we're all some of our past, all of us. And I think, I think watching, and I was having a good cry with um, my son's grandma last week. I think I might've had a couple of glasses of wine. I might, might've got a bit emotional, but I grew up in a Jamaican family from, from when I was a baby. So when I was, when I was a kid, my dad had three kids, me, Tina, and Joanne. I was the middle one. Joanne was the youngest. Tina was the oldest. When I was two, Joanne was one and Tina was three. Families split up. All three kids went to live with mum. Dad came and collected the boy. And that was the last I saw of my mum and my sisters. And then I grew up with my dad, you know, dropping me at the... He dropped, he dropped me at the next door neighbor's house and I, my, ba- my babysitters would be the na- next door neighbors while he was at the pub. My dad was a, a, a roof tiler, so he was a hardworking man. His father was a, a coal miner, so they were just tough, hard men. And so you were, you, were, you were seen and not heard as a child. That was how you grew up. And if you were heard, you got a clip around the ear. And so then a few years, probably would have been, I think I was about four or five, and my dad came home with a black woman from the pub. And her name was Elaine. And they got married. She had four kids of her own. So I grew up as the only white kid in a black family, which is why I can speak Jamaican. And if you want to chat all them weird, we can chat all them weird. Right? So it's it's a it, for me, this this whole this whole life that I'm living now has come from has come from all of what I've experienced 
growing up. And that was being the odd one out in a family, you know, being the only white one in the family was, was, was traumatic. I didn't have a bedroom. I, had, I slept on the couch. My sisters had one bedroom. My brother had his own small, tiny box broom. And my stepmom and my dad had, had the, the, the bedroom. So there was a three-bedroom council house in the middle of Shitsville in Nottingham. And this was this is how I grew up. I, I, I ran away from home a few times. Um, I left school at 15. I left home at 16. I became a father at 19. She was only 15, 16. When Michelle ended up pregnant, she was only 15 at the time. I was only 18. We were kids. Um, but we decided to keep the, the, the baby because the council would have to give you a house. And so we thought, great, let's, let's get a house. So we got a house. And that was, how, that was why we had, we had a child. And Ashton is now 30, 31. Um, Michelle's dead. She died from alcohol poisoning and just crazy story, crazy story. But I think watching, growing up and watching all of this. So where, where I come from in this place called St. Anne's, there's this community spirit. And that is just to support everybody who has nothing. And every, every, every Saturday, every Sunday, you would see droves of people coming around to my grandma's, um, my, my son's grandma's mom's house, and she'd have a big pot of Jamaican soup or a big pot of curried mutton or curried goat or, or a big pot of stew peas or some Jamaican food, and people would just turn up and eat, have a drink, smoke a spliff, and leave. This was the Jamaican culture, and I think... And I was, I was I wasn't joking about saying I had a bit of a tear. I had a bit of a tear with Pam because Pam's eighty something now and she's not got long left. And and I was telling her about this business called Meat Magic that I've set up, and I think it's been completely inspired by her because she she never complained. She always give, always helping those that didn't have much. And I can't help but think being around that for many years really had a massive impact on me. And I think that's exactly what we're doing now at Meet Magic. We're just giving money away. <laughs> it's crazy. But you feel you feel really good. We've given about $600,000 to charity so far. Um, and I feel, you know, I want I want my last check to bounce. And I, I, I love that feeling of the money. I love the feeling every month of watching all this money coming in from our clients. And then I watch the bank balance go, shh right down to almost zero when we give it all away. And then it comes back in the next month, a bit more, and goes back out again. This is, this is what we've created. And it's, 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 quite, it's quite an interesting model. And I don't think, it's, um, I don't think everyone could do it because I think most people want to put Ferraris in the garage and be successful and buy the house. I'm over that. I don't need, it. I don't need all those things to make me feel successful. So, Wow. Carl, tell us a little bit about what it was like because just just backtracking before we go into talk about meat magic i know for sure that you have a really i mean you know just from what you've shared already you have a sensational childhood and story to share but a lot of people who come from a childhood that was challenging and that was you know with poverty they end up being very driven for success and money so how how did you become the person that wants to give back to charities. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, so it would have been, I mean, I, you, you know, sometimes you have a feeling inside you that you, you, you just know that you're meant to be doing something, but you don't know what it is. I've had that all of my life. Even when, even as a kid, 
I always felt I'm going to do something one day and it's going to impact a lot of people. I just didn't know what it was. I couldn't, but 20 years in my job of a corporate world, you know, gave me all the things that were wrong in life. And I, you know, we were out there drinking and going to lunches and all this sort of stuff and doing, doing deals and, you know, making money and buying houses and cars and just, it, it was just pure capitalist stuff. Um, and then it would have been, I think, my, my daughter's now 18. I think she was 11 or 12 at the time. We were watching this TV show on the ABC. I think, I think it's still on, on YouTube. It's called Growing Up Poor. I think it was Four Corners. And this was a, a suburb of, of Sydney called Claymore that the government in 1975 built. And they put the poorest of the poor into this suburb. So three generations later, there's this cycle of poverty. And we're watching this, and these, these, these are kids. There's 1,500 kids under 15 in a square mile. And they were interviewing these kids, and they were like, what's the point of going to school? There's, there's no hope. They've watched their parents and their grandparents struggle. They've watched their parents and their grandparents you know, not survive. And so there was a the point of going to school. So this is this cycle. So we drove out there, and sure enough, it was exactly like where I come from. It was, you know shopping trolleys on the street, mattresses everywhere, people hanging around like they want to mug you. That just I felt right at home. It just felt it, it felt like I it felt like I'd arrived I'd arrived back in my suburb. And we went to the school and said to the school, you know, we want to do something to to, to try and inspire these kids to to, to to just to change the course of their life. Um, and so my daughter and I, Maya, we came up with this concept called Kidspiration, which was a day out for 300 kids. And so we raised a few thousand dollars uh, for some people that we know, and, and we put four coach loads on, and we brought all these kids to Bondi Beach for a day out, and they did some games. Channel 9 helped me out. They got the Bondi lifeguards involved. We had a, we had a wallaby give a pep talk. I gave a little bit of a talk, um, and we, we gave them all a barbecue lunch and sent them home with a bag of Smiggles with a journal and some pens and stuff inside it, and a little, a little inspirational note that said, you know, you can change your life. You just have to write one dream down. Write that one dream down in the book. Because if it's not written down, it's not coming out. So write it down. And so we sent them all away. And hopefully that, that changed the course of one or two kids' life, you know, to, to go off and have a, have a go. Because most of the time when you're stuck in that struggle, the biggest fear is leaving that struggle because you, you're comfortable in it. And, and leaving that safety net is really hard. And I, that was part of me, me leaving the UK was, was breaking out of that struggle. Um, and so Channel 9 then introduced me to this charity called Feel the Magic. And that was a black tie function. And this was a, a small little fledgling charity that was just getting started. And James Thomas was the founder and him and his wife. And James basically set up this way to reconnect grieving kids with happiness because he lost both of his parents. He ended up in Disneyland and Disneyland was the happiest place on earth. And so it's kind of hard not to be happy in Disneyland. And so he came back and says, what if we just set up a charity and help kids that are dealing with grief to go to Disneyland and be happy again? Simple, simple idea. And so I loved it. I loved his idea. I said, James, make me your head of fundraising and I'll go and get you some money. And so he did. And I, I knew some rich people. I went and got him some money. And, and then I introduced James to the Growth Project, which was a small little incubator for, um, for, for fledgling charities. 
execs got to go on the course as a leadership thing and the charities got to learn how to grow and scale and build some governance into their systems and all that sort of stuff. And so James, um, James and I went on to the growth project. We were the very first one. And that's basically where Meet Magic kickstarted. That's what is, uh, in the very first day on the very first session of the growth project, those were all standing in a room and I, for the past couple of years, I've been, um, I've been opening the doors to a few friends because somewhere along the line, I got this title of the best door opener in town. I don't know where it came from. Um, well, I do. Brian McAuley. Brian would always say, go and see Goffey. He'll open the door for you. And so people started to come to me. And I was, I was doing this as a bit of a side hustle. I was making like three or $4,000 every month just opening doors for people. Then they'd pay me $1,000. And then I started to say to the executives, um, if you have this meeting, I'll donate $500 to charity. What's your favorite charity? And, and so I, I was giving this half of this money away just to get the connection. And so the execs would love the fact that they could sit down, have a meeting with someone and, and then nominate a charity for, to get 500 bucks. Um, and I'd make 500 bucks. And, and that's how it started. And in the growth project, when we, when we launched, this is what I, it all came out and it all formed there. So that was 2017, I think, 2016, when I registered the company, 2017, when we launched it. So you've always been quite philanthropic by the sounds of it. And it it's, I mean, you know, it's no surprise to me because of what you've just shared, but what's this business model? I mean, you know, Meet Magic, by the sounds of it, you're doing some remarkable work. And, I, and you know, personally from working with you, I've seen how many lives you've changed, you know, and how much you've donated. And, uh, you know, I think it's around 600,000 and over 15,000 sick kids this year alone. Like, what is the business model of Meet Magic? Good is that though? How good is it to... to- if I died right now to say, well, you, okay, you've helped 15,000 sick kids, how good? I mean, that, that for me is the business model. It's about giving. I'm a firm believer that, you know, the kid, the kid that sat in class with his arm protecting his work or her work, they didn't get very far in life. But the ones that said, here, do you want to see my answers? They're the ones that got ahead. <laughs> because I, 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 I just believe this intrinsically the universe has this this way of having your back you know if if you if you really believe in what you're doing head towards it don't have any fear i know it's hard but head towards it because once you once you step into that fear and, and this was the whole magic story from the beginning is very very hard i mean we we had no money um i know there's one particular point in time um that the one of the very first meetings that took place was with a company called skyfi and the company, the exec that he met, that they met with was um, Kathmandu, the retailer. The CIO was named Yolan Van Dyke. I'll never forget this. And I had $550 left in the bank. That was it. So all, I got no assets, no, I'm nothing. I'm renting my, my apartment. My daughter's at school. Um, I'm walking the dog. I'm coming up and I'm thinking, okay, there's 550 bucks. Do I pay for food and, and put food on the table for the week? Or do I, do I just follow my integrity and give this money to the charity? So I called the charity. It was a Himalayan foundation. And I said, look, I've got $500 here for you. What's it going to do? What, what impact is it going to make? And they said to me, $500 will pay for three girls in the Himalayas to go to school for the entire year. And it will pay for their books and their uniform. And so as I'm walking up the hill, I start crying because I'm transferring this money 
to the to the Himalayan Foundation. I've got 50 bucks left in the bank. That's it. That's all I have to my name. And I walked up the hill and I was crying, thinking, why am I crying? And I couldn't work out why it was. It wasn't until a little bit, little bit later that I realized economically the poorest I've ever been almost in my life. But spiritually and inside, following, following my heart and following my dreams, the richest I've ever felt. That conflict just brought tears out. It wasn't boo-hoo tears. It was just like just crying. It was like this, this, it, it, it was you've, you've done the right thing by giving the money to the Himalayan Foundation. You've changed some lives. That was really one of the turning points that made me realize this has got, I'm, I've got to put my heart and soul into this now. I got home, and when I arrived home, my electricity had been cut off. And my daughter is about to come home from school. And so I start panicking. And thankfully, I was living in this old apartment in Darling Point. I walked downstairs and I opened the big wooden doors. And there was this one of these red and white striped pieces of tape that's gone across my, my electricity box saying, don't use. And so I ripped it off and turned the electricity back on. And, and, and then my daughter came home and we, we had dinner. That moment, she never knew anything about what was going on, the struggle of, of trying to get this startup off the ground. But that was really the turning point. And, and all of a sudden, the universe goes, don't worry, I've got your back. And all of a sudden, we get a new client. There's a bit more money coming in the door. And, and then you pay your bills, pay, pay the electricity bill. I, I lost count the amount of times my phone got cut off. I lost count. I, I, honestly, it was, it was just this cycle of, of trying to keep it going. And then in 2018, I had to go and get a job again because I was, I was three months behind on my rent. I got an eviction notice. And Phoebe, honestly, I'm not, I'm not lying to you here. I'd met a girl on Bumble and I'd known her for probably two or three weeks. We'd had a couple of dates and she borrowed me $12,000 to pay my rent. And wow. I, I'm not joking. She said, you can't get kicked out. You're a father. I'm going to give you the money. And she gave me $12,000. I'd known this girl for two minutes. And I had some money coming in, which I knew about that was coming in in a couple of months time. And so I, that, that money came in and then, and I paid her all that money back with a bit on top to say, thank you. But that, that was the struggle. That's what you, that's what I had to go through to prove to the, to the universe and myself that what I'm going to do is it's not going to be easy, but if your heart is in it, you'll find a way. Wow. That is so inspirational. And, oh, uh, oh my goodness. I, I think that if all companies had a vision like you did where they were thinking about the greater good, then this world would be a very different place. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization and, and how meet magic works? Like what, what, how do people donate and contribute and, and, you know, what does it take to contribute to Meet Magic? Well, first of all, we, 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 we try to solve the problem. And I think we've solved it. We, the problem that we're solving for charities is this sustainable fundraising model. Because with James and Feel the Magic, when I was raising money for him, one of the things that I discovered was it's very difficult to keep going back to those people asking for money. So the idea that we've created is a way for charities to, to bring their corporate partners to us. All they have to do is bring their executives or their directors and C-suites of those companies, the leadership teams, basically, who support those charities. They bring them to us and they register to have 
a few meetings with us. Now, we, we typically ask them for three hours per year. That's it. And that's one meeting every 45, one 45 minute meeting every three months. So it's nothing in the, of their time. But each one of those meetings, our clients pay for basically. So our clients are the big tech companies. And rather than them spending the money on a, on a lunch or a, a, a pissy little drink session or, you know, that I call them snouts in the trough. You know, there's all these there's all these conferences that they're spending money on, and they're wasting a lot of that money because it's thirty five, forty thousand dollars to go and stand for three days and scan some badges. So the idea is we take that same money that those companies are using, and we can we use that money to connect with the execs, and then we give seventy percent of that to the charity. So the so the whole model is that we we basically charge a thousand dollars per connection. And then we give 700 of that. And this is this is the really interesting thing because we're now operating in four countries. We've got Singapore, New Zealand, the UK, and Australia. So in, in Australia, for example, we've got two charities that we're pretty strong with. One of them is called Starlight, and we've given them over $600,000. We are a platinum partner of Starlight. We're up there with Virgin, Spotlight, and all these other big companies. And in our first year, pop we're up on the board, not only just as a partner, but as a platinum partner, the highest level partner you can get. So we're there. So I think they're pretty happy. And they they are, they tell us that there's no other company giving them regularly $50,000, $60,000 every month. And that's what we've been every month, which is absolutely nuts. So we're doing 80, 90 meetings a month, and they get, they get $60,000 roughly every month, which is they, – they do nothing for that, absolutely nothing. This is the this is the this is the 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 sustainable fundraising model we wanted to create. So any charity that has corporate partners, rather than asking them for money, just ask them for a bit of time. They can be philanthropic with a little bit of time, and so that's that's the model. So we connect these meetings, and so in 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 Australia, we've just launched a new charity partner called um, Camp Quality. You might know those guys, those people. Deborah Thomas is the CEO of that. She's she's amazing. And um, every meeting with camp, that supports camp quality will help 20 kids that are in hospital with cancer. So just one 45-minute meeting and 20 kids with cancer are supported by camp quality. It's in, in Singapore, Phoebe, this blows me away. In Singapore, we've partnered with Club Rainbow. And Club Rainbow support lots of low-income families. One meeting in Singapore provides food for 10 low-income families for an entire month. Just one meeting, and you're feeding 10 families. And often these kids, these families have got kids that are sick and whatever. In the UK, we're partnered with Starlight, and each meeting over there is going to help 300 sick kids through play therapy. So 700 pounds for a meeting in the UK. So our clients, the executives, they, they do nothing apart from give us 45 minutes of their time. And that's it. And it, our clients are the big tech companies, and it is the who's who of the, te- of the tech world. They are the best tech companies on the planet. And most of the execs that have the meetings with them, they learn something because there's lots of industry changes happening with transformation and cybersecurity and customer experience. And all that stuff right now is very relevant because life has changed. COVID's changed the way we work. So everyone has changed their lifestyle. And that technology forms a big part of that. So most of our clients are having conversations with the with the execs about you know how industry's changed or how AI is being introduced and how AI is solving some pretty good problems and in the world or how cybersecurity 
um, issues are, are affecting the world because everyone's working from home now. And all of a sudden, you've got 300 open um, exploit opportunities on your network because 300 people working from home with a printer in the kitchen, that's, a, that's actually an opportunity for a hacker to, hacker to come in. So how are you going to stop that? So the conversations are very relevant. So that's, that's, that's the model. So we, we basically charge our clients a minimum of 10 meetings and they can go and have 10 conversations. And you know what, Phoebe? Every one of them love it. That's so awesome and such a better way to generate leads and higher quality conversations and people that are actually, you know, doing business with one another and, and really connecting. Can I tell you this morning, we had a call with a executive who has had 13 of our meetings, 13, and he loves them. He's a chief digital officer of one of the biggest banks in the country, Okay. He said to us that he gets 300 emails cold every week. He tells his EA to say no to every single one of them except Meet Magics. Wow. He said because every one of the Meet Magic meetings has been valuable to him because it's curated, it's valuable use of his time, and the people that are coming are prepared for a conversation. And so he said the meetings, absolutely all of them have been amazing. We haven't done business with all of them. We've done business with a few of them, but that's the nature of, of sales. And the conversations are just open, honest, guaranteed impact that some kids, and he loves them. So he, ha- he says, he says we have a, uh, I have a daily stand-up meeting with my EA every, every morning for 15 minutes. And if she reads out the, 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 the Meet Magic requests, it's always a pro- we prioritize the Meet Magic emails. I thought, how good is that? And we've got hundreds of execs that are doing this now. They're prioritizing us because the meetings that we have are um, they're, they're curated. It's just a valuable use of their time, you know. And the people that are coming have, have often done some research and they think that they've got some value to add to that conversation. And so they, they're walking into these meetings, building trust and building trust through Meet Magic because – there's a you know there's a there's a great platform there and a common ground to start that conversation off called sick kids <laughs> and you know you have a conversation about sick kids in the first five minutes of the call and all of a sudden the the, the tone of the meetings changed you know it's not like walking in the, into that meeting and going oh hello phoebe can i give you a presentation i'll give you my powerpoint i'll show you what our data lake looks like nobody cares about your data lake you know stop selling because nobody, nobody wants to be sold to anymore. And I think the nature of sales has changed so much. Your job now is not, it's, you're not in a seller's market anymore. You're in a buyer's market. And your job is to listen more than that. And I think that's, that, that's the shift. You're, you're now out there to build trust. And you've got to move from distrust to trust. And you've got to do it over video. And doing it over video, it just means being very different to how things were five years ago. Things have changed, and I think it's not going to go back to how it how it was. We're going to have this now all the time. This hybrid model is going to be here, and that's because people are working from home. The decision makers are now at home. You know, I say to these salespeople, Phoebe, I said, don't go into a Tinder date and ask them to marry you on the first date. And that's what some of these salespeople are doing. They're having a conversation, asking execs to buy, and like, stop. <laughs> What is the method that you're using to reach out to execs? Because obviously not, you know, there are so many execs, not all of them are going to say yes, not all of them have the time and, you know, they're time poor. That's the reason why Meet Magic exists. So how have you been cutting through the noise? 
Well, I think they all do have time. They, everyone has time. Everyone has time. You know, we've we've had executives from the biggest bank CEOs right down to CIOs, CTOs. Everyone's got time. It's what you choose to be important that determines whether or not you give it time. You know, I I, I know a lot of people spend a lot of time on social media. I, some of, some of the get this. Some of the executives that have told me no. I see them posting two or three times a day on LinkedIn. I'm thinking you spend more time on LinkedIn posting than you would my 45 minutes once a quarter. It's like, uh, how does that even work? So I, so I know, I know that the time is the good thing about Meet Magic is these business meetings fit in with your work week, so it's part of your job anyway. So most of these execs are are evaluating new products and services in the market. So why not do it through this method and do some good at the same time? It's, it's a bit of a no-brainer. Um, but we, we often have a lot, of, um, a lot of referrals. So a lot of the execs, they, they put it on their LinkedIn profile. They, they've got Meet Magic Ambassador, a little Meet Magic logo, which is really sweet. So we've come a long way. I think there's, you know, things are moving that way. And we do a lot of emails, which, which we have to still, like everybody else, inviting execs to join us. Um, obviously, LinkedIn is, is, is a key thing for us and, Often we're not selling on LinkedIn. We're just talking about what we're doing. And I think that's building the awareness. Um, I think today we've had four execs come and ask us to join. You know, so they, they've come to us now. We, we get CIOs coming to us saying, saying that the board has mandated a project for AI. Do you have any AI companies we can meet? You know, we've got companies like um, the New South Wales Transport and New South Wales RMS, Roads and Maritime. And some of the directors there only take meetings through Meet Magic because it, it levels the playing field. Because when, you, when you're sourcing conversations, if, you know, to, to solve business problems from the same place, it actually ticks the box for compliance for them to be, you know, equal and fair. So yeah, so so it's, it's a whole whole lot of things we're doing. Anything we can to spread the word, um, LinkedIn. We don't do too much Facebook. We, most of it is is LinkedIn, email, and, and referrals. So execs that that are seeing what we're doing and and they want to get want to get on board. Because let's be fair, yeah, you're an exec. You've got a title, but you're not going to have it forever. And I've seen it time and time again. When you lose that title, nobody cares about you anymore. And I've seen this with Brian Hartzer, the CEO of Westpac. Everybody wants to see Brian when he's a CEO of Westpac, but now he's not. He's an author. Nobody wants to speak to Brian. <laughs> That's just how it is. You've got some. T- you've got a title. Use it for some good while you have it. You know, and and that's that's the message. I think we're seeing a big shift as well. I think there's a lot of the millennials are coming into the workforce at the top end and. They, you know, they care. They really care about this, and so it's it's nice to see when I, when we get new companies that come on board, and you know, I, I think the whole people and culture side of the business, especially with lockdowns now, I mean, you know, people and culture teams want to engage their workforce. Well, how are you going to do that if you can't go to go and do some volunteering at a charity anymore because of lockdown? Well, you can sit on your bum and host a meeting. You know, you, you're going to get involved in and just having that meet. We call ourselves dopamine dealers, um, Phoebe, because every meeting that you have, you feel good. You feel good. Yeah. That you've done, you feel good that you've done some good, and that helps you become more engaged at work. You're a better partner. You're a better person to be around, and and all of a sudden productivity increases. There's, there's absolutely no downside whatsoever to hosting these meetings. 
You know, you volunteer 45 minutes once every three months. Come on. Who can't do that? Show me one person that's that busy that they can't find 45 minutes during their work week to host a meeting to do some good. Yeah. You know, show me that one person. I'll call them, I'll call them out and tell them they're lying. And I'll, and I'll, I'll look at their Netflix, what, how much time they spend on Facebook, how much time they spend on Instagram and Twitter and whatever else. It's 45 minutes every three months. Nobody can't do this. So it's, it's accessible. So our, our biggest challenge at the moment is getting the word out to execs. You know, this is, this is a great way for you to volunteer some time, especially valuable for lockdown, especially valuable for mental health and emotional well-being right now. You know, host some meetings. What would you say to the business owners who are, you know, looking at ways to make their business or their lives more fulfilling and that, you know, maybe they are giving a little bit to charity here and there, but they're, they're just not fulfilled. How, how would you speak to someone? Maybe that they might be young or not even. I think there's a change only comes from inside, right? And this is, you can change your clothes, you can change your boyfriend, you can change your girlfriend, change your husband, change your wife, you can change your car, change your house, change your hair, change your makeup, whatever. But unless you change your thoughts inside, everything stays the same. So nothing will change. And it's the same with this whole mentality of giving at the moment. There's a whole lot of people out there that think they can go and volunteer four or five days a week at a charity and they'll feel good. But I can tell you, people are getting bored of that. It's not hitting the mark. They get to day three of their volunteering and they go, I've got to go back there again. And this is this is what's happening. You know, it looks great on the surface, but ultimately it's not really changing that person. And nothing really changes until you change inside. You know, my daughter, when she was going to school, I'd give her 50 bucks every two weeks. And I'd say, this, this 50 bucks is not for you and your girl is to go and have your latte. This is for you to give somebody on the way to school who needs it more than you. And she had, she, she'd have to find somebody. And I'd say, I don't, want, I don't want you to tell me how they felt. I want you to come back and tell me how you felt. And so she would go and, she, for example, she would, um, she gets off, she, she'd go to Strathfield to school. So she'd, get, she'd go to town hall, go and get herself a coffee. She'd go into, into Woolworths, buy some dog treats. And then she'd go and sit down with the homeless man who had a dog, because my likes dogs. And she'd sit down, she'd give the dog some treats. She'd give the rest of the change to the homeless guy and have a chat for five minutes and then go to school. She did this, you know, every, every couple of weeks or whatever. That made her inside just become this fulfilled, just almost enlightened. She cares. She, she changed inside. And I think that's what happens with our meetings is, is you, it changes you inside because you're, you're doing, you're giving nothing, but you're creating everything at the same time. And so to get to make that is, is, is a big deal. And uh, I, I know there's a couple of people out there. One of them, um, complete role model for me, his name is Rob Kaloudis. Um, Rob owns a stockbroking firm called Vivcourt Trading. And he tells me that he gives every one of his 100 staff $10,000 every year to give away. That's not theirs to go and put on their mortgage. That's theirs to give away. And, he, and it's unattached giving. So he says he doesn't care who you give it to. Just come back and tell me how it made you feel. And often the stories that will come back, they've given that money to someone that's changed their life. It's, it's, helped, something, it's helped somebody out in a big way. And, and, and that intrinsically changes 
something inside because you feel as though you've actually moved something. And I just think this this whole idea of corporate teams going into volunteering days, I think it's hit the wall. I really do. I think it's just crazy. There's got to be another way to feel good and, and to feel fulfilled about your day. You know, you have one of our meetings, you'll feel fulfilled because you can't not. It's, you know, if, you, if you've got 45 minutes of your time and you just walked out of a meeting knowing that 18 sick kids are getting, be- are getting supported, you, you're going to feel good about that. Absolutely. I, I, I'm just taking in what you've just shared because, you know, I, I, I cannot imagine what, how different your daughter would have grown up if, he, if she hadn't had been brought up with a father that, you know, taught her that. And not everyone gets that. I, I call it a luxury, you know, the fact that your daughter's grown up learning to give from such a young age and having the luxury of all those feelings of, wow, I've just made a huge difference to that person's life and bringing people not just smiles but like health and opportunity and hope and, you know, dreams. It's, It's phenomenal. And one of the things that I, you know, I'm very, very blessed that, you know, I, I was similar in that I grew up with a mom and grandma and, and my dad who we grew up poor as well. And, um, and so I've always grown up learning the value of money, but also of giving as well. And for me, anti-human trafficking is something that I'm very passionate about. And I have a lot to learn from you as well, Carl. I mean, when we first started working together and, uh, and it was just, I think it was just around your Facebook ads, hearing about Meet Magic, I was like, oh my goodness. The fact that I used to have this limiting belief when I first started that, you know, oh, giving back meant that I wouldn't be able to scale this business and I had to go out and create a different business uh, in order to be able to financially support myself. But hearing Meet Magic and the way the changes that you are bringing about and the way, you know, you've gotten to a platinum partnership with these charities in such a short amount of time. Crazy. And that's and that's just by giving. You know, I think we have this internal thing once a month. We call it Project Scene, and that's what Rob does with his ten thousand dollars. We do with a hundred dollars. So we give everyone on the team a hundred bucks, and they've got to go and give that to someone and make their day, and come back. Just come back and tell us how how it made you feel. And the whole the whole point of it is for the person to feel seen and not the giver, but the, the person who's receiving the money to feel seen and so to make them feel as though they, they matter and that the, the, someone cares. And so that's that's something that we do internally because we know that that little, just that small little shift, you know, in, in, in your day or in your in your thoughts or in your belief system, it makes such a big difference. It, it really does. And I, I, I know that it's it's sometimes a function of the age or the part of life that, you are, that you're at. I mean, you see some people that get it really early, but often it takes you to go through that 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 cycle of you know in your in your twenties in the ego phase, and then you're into a different phase. But you know the whole Wayne Dyer stuff. You're in a in a different phase in your forties, and a different phase in your fifties and sixties, and and it, it, it you know I'm in my fifties now, fifty one. But it becomes less important about putting you know expensive shirts and shoes on, or p- putting cars in the garage, or putting you know. I don't know, whatever else. It's not about ego anymore. It's not about looking good, as you can tell. I've not had a shave. But it's it's more it's more about giving and that it, it it's giving in the giving in the right way. And 
and I think this this whole meat magic thing has got so much potential. I mean, we're building a new platform, and that new platform, I I think, will change the world. I think once we launch it just before Christmas, it'll be the world's first of, of its kind, you know, and it'll be this thing that is, it's been going for four years. So we're just going to put it all onto a platform, which is it's already been on a platform once, but we're going to put it into a new into a new version, and it'll just become a global thing. You know, I. I feel already as though we're doing a thousand meetings in 10 cities around the world. That's a lot of impact. You know, that's a, a huge, I don't see any reason why every business meeting that happens every single day, they're not asking the question, what charity are we supporting today? Every business meeting, I don't care whether it's climate change that you follow, whether it's kids with cancer or whether it's, you know, um, whatever it is that you, whatever it is you, you care about, every company has, they have an obligation, it's their duty to make the world a better place. It's not nice to have anymore. It's a must have. You, and, you can't, and you can't just tick the box and say you're doing it. You need to prove that you're doing it. Because the cancel culture that we live in today, if you say one thing, but you're actually doing something else, you're going to get shut down. And that's just the way the world is right now. So, you know, if you're a, a coal miner and you talk about, you know, making the ozone better, but you're actually not doing anything about that, then you know you better start doing something and doing it doing it authentically. So this every every company has an ESG strategy. I think every executive needs to have their bonuses tied to ESG targets. You know whether it's slavery or whether it's climate change. You know, just imagine if you've if you've you know let's, let's say you're a I don't know let's say you're a Rio Tinto and your goal is to offset the amount of damage you're doing because of all the coal you're selling. Let's just say, for example, you had 100 executives and each one of them had one meeting once a quarter. Well, that's 400 meetings a year. Let's say each one of those meetings raised $700 and it planted 200 trees. Well, that's 400 times 200 trees. That's a measurable impact just by doing what you do every single day. It's pretty straightforward. It couldn't get any easier. To, to make a difference at work. It's just a, it's a mindset set more than anything else. There is no reason why every company on the planet, I think what annoys me at the moment is that you've got these, these sustainability people who say, oh, no, we, we don't support sick kids because we support, we support our communities in, in other ways. I'm like, How can, you, giving is not something that comes with, with differences. You're either a giver or you're not. If you're a corporate and you're saying to me, well, we only support that and we don't support anything else, that's actually, it's wrong. It's, it's completely wrong. They say they've got a corporate, what's it called? A workplace giving strategy. These are moronic, what, what's happening here. Right? Do you know what they, a lot of them are doing? They're, when you sign up as an employee and you come on board, they say we're going to take 5% of your salary unless you opt out. That's not workplace giving. That's workplace taking. That's <laughs> not. Why, why would you force somebody to, that's like almost forcing them to have a vaccination before you can get a job. It's the same, yeah. same, same sort of thing. So anyway, so that's, um, yeah, I, I think it's, there's a lot of things that are, I think COVID was the closing ceremony of the industrial revolution, but I think a lot of companies are still there. Mm. They need to move back and get themselves up into the, in, into this new world that we're living in now and stop doing the old things, the old ways. It's just, it's gone. Let it go. You know, open your mind to new ways because that's how you're going to generate new revenue streams, not with closed thinking. 
Carl, I'd love to end this podcast to find out. I mean, you're a very busy person that, you know, you, you obviously have a lot of things that are on your on your hands and on your mind. How do you how do you prepare yourself for your day? This is something that I love to I love to know and you know it's something that I I think is really important. How do you prime yourself for the day? Well, um most of my days I'll wake up at five. Well actually I'll tell a lie. So my old dog over there, Bender, he's 18. So we'll go to bed early because we, we have to because you know he's, he's old. So no more benders. No, nine o'clock. Well, I, I do like a glass of wine, but but nine o'clock, I'm I'm probably I'm going to bed, and I'll be I'll be in the in the bedroom by nine, reading or I'll do something. And, and normally, I, I pass out straight away because you know my days are full, end to end. Um, and then I'll wake up at five or five thirty, and I'll come downstairs and I'll I'll do a fifty minute. It's a yoga inspired workout. It does sort of push ups and all sorts of different things. Fifteen minutes. Then I'll go and take the dog for a walk. This is like a religion. Then I'll go and take the dog for a walk at sort of 6.37 and then come back and then I'll start my day. I'll have some breakfast and coffee and, and I'll start my day. I don't plan. This is the thing. And I think my days are full and I don't plan them meticulously. I tend to follow how I'm feeling because if I'm feeling good, then I'll open up and do more things because I know I'm flowing downstream. But if I'm not feeling good, I want to walk upstairs and just go and close my eyes and, and switch off. Because sometimes I think mental health is a, is a big problem for, for startup people because it's, it, it's stressful. And some days I, I don't feel good. And I tell the team, I say, guys, I, I fell off a cliff like two weeks ago. I fell off a cliff and I was, I was out for two days and I just could not bring myself just to, and it's just, that's how we are. And I, I had to recognize that. And I spent most of those two days just recovering and coming back to myself. You know, I got on the bike and I sweated and, you know, went for walks and, and just stopped, meditated. And, and that, that's, that's what I think we all have to do every day now because you can't do 10 Zooms every day, you know, and then expect to just it's, – it's crazy. There's so, much, there's so much stuff. So my days, my, days, my diaries are, are, are kind of full – but when they're not, I don't fill them up purposely. This gap, I mean, this 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 is in today, and you know, I've had five meetings today on top of this one. I've got two more after this, and I don't feel like I'm working though, Phoebe. And I think when you find your purpose, you don't feel like you're working. It's like, it, I mean, everyone, talk, everyone talks about flow, and I talk about paddling downstream because I like it. I, I prefer paddling downstream than paddling upstream because paddling upstream is hard. And so if I if I all of a sudden throughout my day find find myself paddling upstream. I'll just turn around and paddle downstream. That might take just going upstairs for 10 minutes, lying down and closing my eyes and, and just suspending everything. And then I'll stop and come back and start my day again. So I, I think a lot of my day is based on feeling how I feel. That's wonderful. That's really, really similar to how I navigate my day and my week as well. And uh, no two days are the same, as you can imagine, as a persona. Uh, but I love that you tune into how you're feeling and that you're you're actually connecting with yourself because putting yourself first is actually really important, especially when you are putting out so much into the world. So, Carl, thank you so much. 
for um, your time with us today. I really, really appreciate it. I have some rapid fire questions very quick to end this podcast before we go, if you don't mind. And so I'm sure my listeners will be really, really keen to know some of these things about you. So if I can, if, if I may. Cool. So one of the first questions that I have for you and, you know, from our listeners is what is one thing that you cannot live without? Ooh, that's a, that's a rapid answers. I don't know. Um, I don't even know. That's a really good question. It could be physical. It could be non-physical. Some people have said their laptop. Some people have said their iPhone. Some people have said meditation. Wow. That's a, that's a, actually, that's actually stumped me because there's, I would have said wine, but that's I can live without wine. So I live without wine for three quarters of the year sometimes. Um, it'd have to be being connected to, with my family. I think that's probably the closest thing. But even even family, even even with our family, we're not we're not we, we love each other, but we're not that close. Look, honestly, I think for me, every day I'm I'm, a, I'm routine, and so getting up in the morning and walking on the and walking the dog on the park. It's something that I've been doing for 10 years and I think I struggle to not do that now. So that routine, I think, is is really what I couldn't do without. If I didn't do it, if, if I didn't get on this bike four or five times a week or if I didn't go for, go for walks with a dog four or five times a week, I, I yeah, I'd probably lose it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, we know that exercise is really important and that's, yeah. that's really important for your mindset and your health and longevity. So that's a good one. Question number two, who inspires you the most or or who inspired, I mean, you did share a bit about that earlier, but who inspired you to start Meet Magic? Well, the whole Meet Magic thing came out about through me sitting down with a piece of paper and drawing a line down the middle. And on the five, on one side, I wrote five things that I was really good at. And on the other side, I wrote five things that I really loved. And what I was really good at was things like talking, opening doors, connecting people, what I really loved was giving things away and making people happy and, and, and connect. And so I brought the two together. That's what Meet Magic is. But what's inspired me to keep going is people like Rob Kaloudis, who's doing the, what I mentioned before about what he's doing with Vivcourt. And he doesn't have a corporate shareholder structure of, of his business. He's got a charitable network as his, as his foundation for the business. All the money comes in, goes out through that, which is, which is perfect. So there's no shareholder behavior that's driving wrong behavior, which is really cool. But one of the people that I'm really fascinated by is a guy called Chuck Feeney. And Chuck Feeney is, um, you probably know his stores, you know, DFS at the, at the airports, DFS Galleria, he invented those. And he was probably the biggest philanthropist Australia has ever known, but he's American and doesn't live here. And he, he funded most of the universities here. And his motto was he wanted his last check to bounce. I love that concept. He's a billionaire, and he when he dies, he says he, he wants his last check to just bounce. And wow. he, he's the kind of guy who flies. He flies in in America. He said, "I fly um, economy class because each flight saves eight hundred dollars, and each eight hundred dollars fixes so many eyesights because I think it's twenty five dollars to fix." Um, child, what's, what's the uh, eyesight operation called? Forget, I forget what it's called now. But he, he, he basically every flight helps so many people get their eyes fixed. So he's he's that guy. That's amazing. Where do you see yourself in five years' time, Carl? On the boat. So I, I have a dream that Meet Magic is. I, I don't want a house or cars. I just want a hundred foot yacht, and that hundred foot yacht is my floating office. 
that I go around the world. We stop off at each place around the world. And, you know, as I'm on the boat, I've got my screens. I'm, watch, I'm watching all of the meetings that are happening in all the different cities around the world on the screens and running the business from, from a yacht. You know, Sounds a, good. It's a beautiful way. And I, I could live my rest of my life that way and, you know, hop off at Singapore, get some food, hop back on, you know, head over to, I don't know, somewhere else and head over to Japan and check on, check on the meetings over there, do a few meetings, get back on the boat, go into America, get into LA, do a bit more, fly around the top, just sail around the world. You know, you've got a crew of people on there with you and, you know, you're beautiful. And I'm, I'm watching, watching the world change through all the work we're doing while we're floating around the world. Love it. I love it. I hope, hopefully it's not too choppy and, uh, and you can get, you know, all the way to Europe and back and via Asia and all those different places. That sounds amazing. It's a hundred foot, um, Phoebe. You know how big that is? <laughs> I think it would be smooth sailing by the sounds of it. <laughs> okay, last one. Carl, if you could leave the world with one message, what would it be? Um, that change is always hard. It's messy in the middle, but it's beautiful at the end. Beautiful. Carl, thank you so much for all your time and all of the contributions that you've made in the world and uh, and in this episode. I am so excited to get this across to my audience and, uh, and I'll be linking to the show notes as well, your LinkedIn, uh, your website and, uh, and any details that you'd like us to share. So thank you, Carl. Thank you. Pleasure, Phoebe. And when we become a billion-dollar business, you can, you, can, you can be the first one to interview us when we hit the billion-dollar mark. That sounds like a plan. Wow, what an amazing conscious business leader. When I listen to what Carl has to share, it really gets me to think, how can we create business that's going to make a positive impact, not just on ourselves or our clients, but also on the greater good? So many business owners forget why they are doing what they are doing. And to hear his story and his background alongside all the innovations and the way he presents Meet Magic to executives, it makes me so inspired. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Conscious Business Podcast. I am very much looking forward to hearing your responses and please let me know if there is anyone in your network that you would like me to interview. And until then, remember, stay on purpose and thrive and shine in business.